Well, normally at Easter, we're going to talk about the resurrection. You know this. Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating today. And we are going to talk about the resurrection, but we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on it this morning. We're going to talk about it through the lens of one particular man who was kind of a skeptic, a man who actually was kind of the, probably the most famous skeptic in the history of the world. And I'm honestly kind of a skeptical guy. How many of you would say you're a skeptical person? Anybody? You're a skeptical? Okay, good. More, more in this service than the last service. I don't know why. This service is more cynical. You're all out there taking notes, making sure what I say is true. That's fine. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. How many of you would say, now we're not going to use the word gullible, but how many of you would say that you are easily convincible? Raise your hands nice and high. You're easily convincible. Okay, keep them up there so the door-to-door salesman can take notes. Just make a list. Those are the houses. Yeah. A few years ago, in my neighborhood back in Virginia, my wife and I were at home when a big commercial van pulled up into our neighborhood, and the sliding doors popped open, and out popped a small army of young adults with a bunch of cleaning bottles in their hands. And they proceeded to scatter all over the place, knock on different doors, and they had two things to share. One was how absolutely incredible these cleaning products were. And two was a very sad story about why they were selling cleaning products. And so they went and knocked on different doors, and my wife and I started to get texts from people letting us know that, hey, by the way, people are going door-to-door selling stuff, and we did what any decent human being would do, and we turned off the lights, locked the door, and went down the basement (laughs) and decided to just wait it out. Well, eventually I got kind of curious, and so I came back upstairs, and I pulled open the blinds and looked outside, and There I could see that they had come to our house and passed on thinking we weren't home and they were currently um, talking to, I don't know if I'd say harassing, but talking to our neighbor, sweet woman with her kids at home and husband's away at work and there she is standing in the driveway trying to figure out what to do with this guy who is aggressively trying to sell her uh, what is probably water with blue food coloring in it. I have no idea. And I figured... I better go over and and help her out with this. So I walked across the yard and started to strike up a conversation with this guy and just kind of put myself between the two of them and said, all right, let's talk about your cleaning products. And he proceeded to tell me about how these cleaning products were really, even though they had no ingredients on them and no recognizable brand name or anything like that, they were the safest and most effective cleaning products in the world. And he told me all about them. And then he turned around and he just sprayed it all over their car and started wiping it on their car. And you could see the streaks that it was leaving as he was doing that. And I said, no, that's that's good. That's good. We don't have to mess up their their car. And then he turned it around on himself and he squirted a bunch of it in his mouth and said, this is how safe this is. I'm drinking this right now. I said, I'm good. You You don't have to do that anymore. So he talked to me about his story. He shared about the circumstances that brought him to the point of selling cleaning solution. And I know that as a pastor, I'm supposed to just put my counselor hat on and just be like, oh, that's very interesting. Tell me about that. And, and I kind of did, but honestly, I was, I was pretty skeptical. I wasn't exactly sure if I was buying what he was selling, if you catch my drift. So I, I listened to him and I started to ask him questions, you know, to hear about his journey slash to poke holes in, in his story. And the more I asked, the more his answers contradicted things that he had said earlier, and he started to pick up on the fact that this was not going to work out in the big sale he had hoped for. So he picked up his colored water, and he left and went to the next house. 
And I didn't have any compassion on them, so they just had to deal with it. <laughs> that day in our neighborhood, there was an awful lot of conversation, really for the next week, a ton of conversation about this group that came in and just blitzed the neighborhood with all of their cleaning supplies. And everybody agreed this, this was not something we wanted to have happen again. But it was interesting to see our neighborhood divided into two distinct groups. There was that group of people who were incredibly sweet and found themselves with 10 bottles of this stuff in their cupboard that they were going to throw away the next day. And then there was that group of skeptics, those people who were going to ask a lot of questions and maybe at the most just waste a bunch of their time before not buying anything at all. And well, you know what group I was in. I'm a pretty skeptical person. When someone shares something with me that I don't believe is true, it's, it's kind of hard for me to not say something. Because I'm a skeptic. I want to know that you have a reason for what you're saying. You have evidence for what you are saying. Now, the truth is, I think a lot of us deep down inside are probably more skeptical than maybe we readily admit. It's just some of us have a better filter than others, okay? My filter is not fantastic. Some of you have a great filter. Those of us who don't have a great filter and we just let our skepticism fly. You raise your hands now. Who has a, who has a great skepticism uh, reflex? Okay, that's just called being authentic, We're just authentic with what we're feeling. The rest of you have a great filter, but you know, you're not that genuine. (laughs) All that to say, I really resonate with the skeptics in the Bible. And I'm so thankful that there are skeptics included in there, accounts of skeptics in there. Not not just because I admire the, the skepticism that they have, but because I think it's so fantastic to see people in God's word who wrestled with the same things that I've wrestled with. And it gives me great confidence in the Bible to see that accounts of skeptics were included in there. People who didn't just believe blindly. People who wanted to know more. People who struggled with some of the same doubts that I've struggled with. Maybe you've struggled with. You know, back in January, as we were working through the book of Mark, we talked about a man who wanted Jesus to heal his son. And he said, Jesus, help us if you can. And Jesus said, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. And what did the man say? I do believe, but... Help my unbelief. I believe, but I don't fully believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. And today we're going to look at a man, another man, who struggled with unbelief. Probably the most famous skeptic in the history of the world. Who do you think we're talking about today? I think you got it, Doubting Thomas. I heard some other names out there, but Doubting Thomas is who we're going to talk about this morning. Thomas was a fascinating character in Scripture. We're going to kind of do a little bit of a character study on this guy. So he was a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to give you some background here. He got to witness Jesus' teachings firsthand, spend time with Jesus, see the miracles as a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't just a disciple. Jesus had many disciples. Thomas was an apostle. In the Greek, that's apostolos. It means a sent person, a sent messenger. It's like being a delegate. Or representative. So Jesus had these guys called the apostles who were his representatives. You know, Jesus was not going to be able to spend time individually with all the multitudes of people that wanted to spend time with him. He wasn't going to, ever, going to go to every city and town individually, personally. So he set up this inner circle of guys called apostles who were going to be his delegates to represent him to the people. And he sent them out at times to go into the cities. And of course, after he left, they became his his messengers to carry on his message and his teachings to other people. Thomas was part of that inner circle. 
Thomas was one of these guys that got to be a part of Jesus' core team that was there to represent him. And Thomas, you know, we usually call him Doubting Thomas, right? But to be honest with you, I think Thomas was actually a pretty cool guy. Thomas was confident. Thomas was a strong believer. He was driven. He was bold and courageous. And that's the side of Thomas that you, you probably don't know. Thomas was a pretty amazing individual. We call him Doubting Thomas, but the reality is we could also call him Willing to Die with Jesus Thomas. That's how sold out this guy was. Let me just share the story with you. I'm going to be in John chapter 10, and we're not going to have this as our main text this morning. John 20 is our main text, and if you want to follow along there in a minute, you can open your YouVersion Bible app or use your Bible in front of you. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, we're right there at First Free Church. Go to events, and you'll see the text right there in front of you. But I'm just going to give you a brief history here, some context so that we know the kind of guy that we're dealing with in Doubting Thomas. So back in John chapter 10, Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem, and as he was talking with people there, they were skeptical about him. And here's what happened. They asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. So upon hearing this, the people, they wanted to stone him. They tried to stone him because they realized that he was claiming to be God. Number one in our points about Thomas is that Thomas witnessed Jesus claim to be God. And then Jesus said this, don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe in me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So number two, Thomas witnessed miracles that Jesus performed that he said proved that he was God. And then the people wanted to arrest him and stone him for this. But Jesus and the disciples, they slipped away to a place across the Jordan River, to a place where John the Baptist used to teach people. And as they went there, a bunch of people followed them over to this place and they're talking with John the Baptist's disciples and Here's what people who listened to John the Baptist said about Jesus. They said, John didn't perform miraculous signs, but everything John said about this man, Jesus, has come true. So a lot of people believed in Jesus there, not just because they saw his miracles, but because there was testimony, predictions made about him by John, that then they saw this is true. The only way this could be is if this man really was from God. Because John said all these things about him and these things have become true. So many people believed in Jesus there because of that continued testimony. So number three, Thomas heard witnesses testify that John's predictions about Jesus were true. So Thomas saw all of this. He saw Jesus' teachings. He saw the miracles of Jesus that proved he was who he said he was. He saw that he was from God, that he was, that he was God. The testimony of John the Baptist's followers saying, this guy is legit. What John said about this man, it's true. There's no way this could have happened unless he really was from God. And then something really tragic happened. A man who had been a supporter and a friend of Jesus named Lazarus died. And you know, when someone you're close to dies, you want to go spend time with their family and comfort them and be a part of the funeral. And so Jesus and the disciples, they, they wanted to do that, but there was a problem. See, Lazarus lived in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, where they had just narrowly escaped being stoned to death. 
And the disciples didn't want to go back there and try their luck a second time. Can you blame them? So Thomas, doubting Thomas, spoke up. And listen to what he said. Let's go to and die with Jesus. Does that sound like a doubter to you? Does that sound like a man who wasn't confident in following this man, Jesus? Confident that Jesus was worth dying for? There was no reason the disciples had to go back with Jesus to this place. They could have stayed where they were. But Thomas convinced them, and probably with a longer speech than that. I think that's the condensed version. Thomas convinced them, let's go back and we'll die with him. He's worth being with and dying with. That's amazing to me. So number four, Thomas would follow Jesus even to death. And a few chapters later in John 14... Jesus says this to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, Thomas spoke up at this point, not to say, I don't believe you, not to say, I don't believe we're actually going to be able to go with you, but here's what he said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? He wanted to know the way. And then Jesus said those famous words, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Do you see what Jesus did there? Let me break it down with a paraphrase for us just to make sure that we get this. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. I'm going to prepare a place for you in God's home. When the time is right, I'll invite you over. And by the way, you already know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, hey, I'd love to join you. Here's the thing. I don't actually know the way. And Jesus replies, oh, you know the way. Because I am the way. You know the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's my point in all of this. Doubting Thomas was no snowflake. Doubting Thomas was a confident person. Doubting Thomas was willing to die for Jesus. At the same time, he's very rational. He's a thinker. He always wants to know how, why. Today, he would have been an engineer. He wants to figure things out, pick it through and go, okay, how does this actually work? It's not that he doesn't believe. It's just that he needs to know and understand more about the situation. That's where Thomas is at. You don't just tell Thomas where you're going. You tell Thomas how you're going to get there. And so number five, Thomas was a believer and a skeptic. He trusts, but with questions. And let me just ask, can anyone here relate to that? I certainly can. Thomas is a, is a pretty cool guy to me right now. I'm a big fan of Thomas. Any fans of Thomas in this building right now? I believe, but I have questions. I trust, but I want to know more. So now we come to our text for this morning. That was all introduction, okay? You ready? John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus, some of your versions will say, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. People have seen him, but Thomas was not with them. And so they told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, 
put my fingers into them and placed my hand into the wound in his side. Well, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. There's a part of me that really sympathizes with Thomas here, that really understands and it feels like I can understand where he's coming from. After all, you remember, I'm a skeptical person. I want to see it. I want to understand it. I want to know it. But what we have to understand about Thomas, what we have to get about this man, is that he had a lot of experiences to validate Jesus, to validate what he said. Thomas saw the miracles of Jesus firsthand. Thomas was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw his life and character. Jesus had never lied to him. Thomas saw Jesus teaching and proclaiming who he was. In fact, you'll remember if you were here on Good Friday, we talked about how Jesus told his disciples, hey, here's the thing. I am about to go to Jerusalem. I will suffer many terrible things at the hands of the leaders. They will kill me and I will come back to life after three days. Thomas was there for all of this. Thomas knows this is what Jesus has been claiming would happen. He now has the testimony of all of these people, the the followers of John the Baptist, who said, hey, everything John predicted about this man, it's true. And then the testimony of his fellow disciples who saw Jesus come back from the dead, and he says, I won't believe it until my conditions are met. So Thomas wanted the same experiential evidence that others had, but he wanted even more. He didn't just want to see the risen Savior. He wanted to be able to put his fingers into the holes in his hands, put his hand into his side. He wanted even more evidence than anyone else had, or else he simply wouldn't believe. He already had so much evidence, but he wanted even more. And I don't know, maybe some of you feel that way today. Maybe some of you are at that point where you are just wishing for a little bit more evidence. You are just wanting a little bit more proof, a little bit more so that you'll believe, a little bit more so that you'll trust. Maybe you have an I won't believe until kind of attitude toward Jesus, or I believe that he existed, but I'm not sure if I'm going to fully trust him with my life kind of attitude. Just a little bit more evidence, just a little bit more. And the reality is, like Thomas You have plenty of evidence. You have evidence for God. You have evidence for Jesus. And what I want to show you is just a snapshot of the evidence that we have for the faith that we have. And the question is, will you accept the evidence that you have or will you reject it? Will you trust and believe based on what God has revealed to us or will you not? Let me just give you a few examples here. There's, there's a lot of them, but first of all, we have the evidence of the Bible. Did you know that there are literally thousands more ancient manuscripts that point to the accuracy and authenticity of the Scriptures than we have for any other ancient document? 
There are other ancient documents that we accept as being true with a handful of sources. There are thousands that point to the Scriptures as being true. There's the evidence of archaeology. There is this pattern in archaeology that happens again and again where secular scholars and scientists will say this aspect of the Bible, this story, this person, this event, whatever it is, that never happened. That was a myth. And this happens over and over again where a new archaeological dig, a new study, a new finding, interpretation of some papyrus that's been found, whatever it is, again and again and again proves and validates that the events that happened in the Bible, they really happened. This really is true. This is not some fairy tale. These things really happen. I could give you example after example, but just to name a few. Uh, until recently, there were many scholars who said the Hittite Empire that was talked about in the Bible, it never existed until they found the Capitol building. They found the capital city and they uncovered that there really was a Hittite Empire that fought against the Israelites. For a long time, people thought that King Hezekiah talked about in the Old Testament that Hezekiah was just this kind of village leader. He wasn't really a king. He didn't really have a kingdom until they found all this evidence outside of the city of Jerusalem of this kind of royal uh, family and this royal activity with King Hezekiah's name all over it. The evidence is there. For a long, long time, people thought that King David was just a, a myth a character thought up to kind of try to teach some good morals and teach some values and those types of things until they found ancient stone tablets with inscriptions of his family's name as the royal family over Israel. And we could go on and on and on. The point is archaeology continues to provide evidence that the events, the people, the enemies that are talked about in the Bible, they really happened. This is real. There's the evidence for Jesus. Did you know that virtually all scholars, even atheists and agnostics, virtually all scholars agree, Jesus really did live on this earth. I'm not talking Christian scholars. I'm talking atheist scholars who write about this stuff, say, oh yeah, he definitely lived, absolutely, and he died on a cross. And in fact, most of them will tell you who have studied the evidence, oh, there definitely was a group of people in that time period who really literally believed that he rose from the dead. There's no question about that. It is certainly true, some of them have said. It is absolutely true, based on the historical evidence, that there was a group of people who really believed Jesus rose from the dead and that there was a group of people who believed there was an empty tomb and tried to cover it up. That's outside of Christian scholarship. There's evidence for that. The evidence for the resurrection. Multiple New Testament sources point to the resurrection, give eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. At one point saying that over 500 people saw him. And remember, we have the New Testament as one collection today, but these are multiple different sources from different people with, with incredible accuracy, all pointing back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot more we could say about that. That's not really what today is all about. The point is we have an incredible amount of evidence to show that what we believe is true. There's more that we could talk about with fulfilled prophecies, with the evidence from creation. And then there's just the evidence of changed lives. I mean, how many of you would say that you have had your life radically transformed by believing in Jesus Christ? How many of you would say that? My life has been radically transformed. I would say that by believing in Jesus Christ. He has changed me. And he continues to change me. Belief in him is so important to me and it makes a huge difference in my life. And then there's God's Spirit, who Jesus said just a few chapters earlier, we were in John 20, if you go back to John chapter 16, Jesus said that God's Spirit would come and convict the world of sin and our need for righteousness. And every single one of us has this little thing down inside of us that tells us there is a standard for right and wrong. 
There is a moral standard. Every single one of us on some level craves justice. Every single one of us on some level craves freedom from the bondage of the wrong things that we do that the Bible calls sin. Every single one of us has that. And Jesus says that's God's spirit convicting the world of sin and our need for righteousness. Here's my point. When we talk about faith in Jesus Christ, when we talk about the faith that we have, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, when we talk about the faith that we have that he can transform lives and change us, we are not talking about a blind faith. We are not talking about a faith without evidence. We are not talking about some kind of a cult where you're just asked to believe because you're told to believe. And I know oftentimes that's what it's represented at. That is not at all what the authors of the Bible talk about. We are not talking about a blind faith. The Bible never commands blind faith. Let me show you this. We see this over and over again in Scripture. Here are just a handful of examples. Jesus said to believe based on the evidence of what he did multiple times. Paul said that he demolished arguments against the knowledge of God. He reasoned with people. He also said that he defended the gospel. Paul said, test everything that is said. Hold to what is true. You don't say that if you want people to just blindly believe everything. This is evidence-based. Peter told Christians to have an answer for those who ask about their hope. Jesus does not ask for blind faith. Back in John chapter 14, right after Thomas asked Jesus about the way to God, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Philip, another disciple, had a question. Here's what he said in John 14, verse 8. Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, And the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. In other words, Jesus is not saying you just have to believe blindly. He's saying there is evidence for this. There is evidence that should bring up faith in you, that should cause you to believe. But Thomas, remember, Thomas wanted more. More evidence, more proof, And to my great surprise, Jesus gave it to him. Jesus gave him the evidence that he sought. Isn't that amazing? Go back to John 20. Look at verse 27 with me. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, this is incredible, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Even for Thomas, a man who had witnessed so much, who had so much evidence of the authenticity of Jesus Christ, who saw so many things firsthand, who heard his teaching, even for Thomas, when he wanted more, Jesus gave it to him. It just speaks to me of how gracious and patient Jesus is with people. See, if that were me and I were in Jesus' shoes with Thomas and everything I've just described to you today, I would have been like, forget that guy. He's out of the kingdom. No way. 
with all the evidence he's had, all that he's seen, and he can't believe that what I said would actually come true. I even have all these people that saw it and told him about it, and he still wouldn't believe. I would have been like, he's done. He's out. And yet Jesus comes back and gives him another chance, gives him the proof that he asked for. And that's so amazing to me. It's an incredible example of why we love Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he's a God of second chances. We don't deserve a second or a third or a fourth chance. And yet Jesus just keeps on offering and keeps on giving. He is merciful. He is patient. He is forgiving. He continues to work in us even when we mess up time and time again. It reminds me of this verse in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 9 which says the Lord is, isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And so Thomas got even more proof from Jesus. But my favorite part of this passage is the last thing Jesus says, because he talks about Thomas and says, you believe because you've seen me, but then he talks about us. Think about that. The last part of this passage, Jesus is talking about you and me. He says, blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen me. In other words, Jesus acknowledges that Thomas has more evidence to believe than you and I have. Thomas had more evidence than we do, and yet Jesus says, even with that, they're not going to have that evidence, but they're more blessed because they believe without physically seeing me. See, I would think it'd be the other way around. Thomas is way more blessed to walk with Jesus, to see Jesus, to have conversations with Jesus, to see all these things fulfilled, to have all of this just laid out in front of him, and even when he asked for more, he got it. He got more evidence. He got more proof, and Jesus says, you believe, that's great, but more blessed are those people who didn't get to see me physically, but still believe. That's incredible to me, that Jesus was thinking of us. See, I have never physically seen Jesus, but I see all of the evidence for the authenticity of God's word. I have never physically seen Jesus, but I see all of the compelling evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have never physically seen Jesus, but I see the evidence of his work all around me. I have never physically seen Jesus, but I see the difference that is made, the change in people's lives when they believe in him. I have never physically seen Jesus, but I see the difference that is made in my life as he continues to transform my thoughts and my desires to be more like him. I have never physically seen Jesus, but that doesn't mean I don't have any evidence. I have lots of evidence. It's like this chair. If I sat down in this chair, I fully believe that it would support me. But I don't believe that based on blind faith. I have reasons to believe that this chair will support me if I sit in it. I've been told that chairs will support me. Many people have shared that with me over the years. I've seen people sit in this chair. I believe that this chair will support me. Now, I don't have as much evidence as the person who made this chair. 
And I don't have as much evidence as someone who has already sat in this chair, but I do have some evidence. And based on that evidence, I fully believe that if I sit in this chair, it will support me. And trusting in Jesus is kind of like that. You may not have as much evidence as you would like. You would probably love to have more, just as Thomas did. But you do have some evidence. You've seen his work. You've seen the change he makes in people's lives. And the question is based on all of the evidence that you do have. Admittedly, even Jesus says, not as much as what Thomas had. But based on the evidence that you do have, what will you do with it? Will you believe? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you be a part of that second group of people? That group of people who Jesus says are more blessed because even though they have not physically seen him, they believed based on the evidence they do have. I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes right now if you would. Just indulge me. Close your eyes. Right now, forget everyone else in the room. It's just you and me and God right now. And here's what I'm going to ask you. Have you ever fully committed your life to God? Have you ever trusted in Jesus and what he did for you? I know you'd like more evidence. I get that. We all would. But he has given us plenty of evidence. Have you ever trusted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross when he died to pay a penalty for your sin that you could not pay and then rose from the dead conquering sin and death so that we could be made right with God, have a relationship with God, be freed from this bondage to sin that we all have and have our lives completely transformed by him. Have you ever fully trusted in that? And not trusted in that plus other things. Not trusted in that plus things that you can do. Not trusted in that, but also hoping that some of the things you do will help make you acceptable to God. The Bible is clear on that. There's no works that we could do. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. It's only by trusting in Jesus to save us from our sins, to make us right with God, that we can be freed from sin and have a relationship with him. Now maybe you'd like to talk with someone about that today. And if there's anyone in this room that has been wrestling with this, struggling with this, whether you are at a point of making a decision about that or not, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. In a little bit as I pray, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to invite our elders, some of our elders and their wives, to just come and hang out at the front of the auditorium. We're going to invite them to hang out at the front. They can sing along with us. We're going to sing a song. And if this is something that you have questions about, if you would like to know more about Jesus, trusting in Jesus, what that means, I would ask, I would beg of you, come forward and talk with us as we sing. Don't put it off. This could be the most important thing you ever do. A radical change in your life. I'm not saying you're making the decision right now. I'm saying you want to know more. And then also, today, for those of you who are a follower of Jesus, but there's something going on in your life that is causing you to have some doubts, something that's causing you to struggle, something that's causing you to wrestle with, something that you're just not sure what's going on right now, our elders and their wives are going to be here for you to pray with. I know sometimes it seems awkward to come down front. Usually all it takes is just one person to be bold and to be brave and to stand up and to come forward and say, I need prayer for something. And we're going to do that right now as we sing while the music is playing. After I pray, our elders, their wives will be up here. You come forward if there's something that you need prayer for. And we're going to pray right now as we sing. Would you 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the evidence that it is to us. We thank you for the evidence of your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the evidence of your resurrection, for the evidence of changed lives all around us, for the evidence of the change that you're causing in my life. I am such a different person today than I was years ago. And Lord, I pray that you would work right now, that your spirit would be working in people's hearts to convict them of of whatever sin is going on in their life right now, to be willing to, to come forward and pray about that, to talk about that with another person who follows Christ, to be encouraged in that, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us to stand up and to to stand out and to be willing to follow after you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.